by laughter in the church. And I thought God was really serious. And there's just too many hurting people in the world to be happy. And then I got the revelation of the scripture that says, in his presence is fullness of joy. You know, I might suggest that if you've never experienced the fullness of joy in his presence, you have an incomplete God encounter. why there's not a lot of joy in a lot of churches because as humans we tend to want to reenact our last great encounter with God and usually our last great encounter with God was with tears and repentance that's why there was an actual season where every pastor they felt like it wasn't a good service until everybody cried you know that's when God showed up and he probably did but that's not the fullness of who he is. Right. He's, he's got so many more personality traits besides repentance. <laughs> I want to experience them all. Yes. Really good God. Amen. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, guys. Shopping, one way. Yeah. 
And you have to remember, you know, when you do your grocery shopping, are there any birthdays coming up? Because oh otherwise you're going to have to drive another four hours to go get a present for your kid's birthday party. And so we're in the middle of nowhere. And God's telling us that we're going to influence nations. I said, I want you to start believing it. I want you to start declaring that you influence nations. Like, you know, we barely influence, you know, sagebrush. I don't know. But the reason we preach what we preach is because it totally changed our life. We reached our destiny because we decided to speak what God was speaking instead of what we were experiencing. Oh. Wow. <laughs> we started speaking what God was speaking instead of what we were experiencing. And I'll tell you, every emotion within me felt it was untrue. It didn't feel true. It didn't look true. We tried not to say it too loud because we didn't want people to hear what we were saying. <laughs> But we're living it. Yes. Probably, I'd say 90 to 95% of what we declare is we're living right now. Wow. Oh. <laughs> What's, those are What's some left? Uh, yeah. Full yeah. stadiums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Amen. Amen. Yeah. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. That's why I like to be vulnerable and tell you who I am. Yes. I love that. Because I wasn't born into this. I decided, you know, I just got desperate one day. And I, you know, because really a lot of our discontent in our life is because we're not living who we really are. Right. Right. We think we are. <laughs> I remember age 35, I'm crying out to God. Oh, God, I don't know who I am, you know. I don't even know how to dream. How do I dream? Because I don't know what I want to do. Because back then, I certainly didn't want to speak. And, yeah. But he said, well, who do you want to be? And I'm like, well, what kind of a question is that? What do you mean, who do I want to be? And he said, like is attracted to like. And who you want to be is usually who you are. When you admire somebody, an aspect of somebody's life, it's usually because you're attracted to something that's within your own self. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a word. And a lot of times the enemy tries to make you afraid of the very thing that you're the best at. Wow. Wow. I used to, you know, I didn't really have nightmares until I got saved. But when I got saved, I started having a reoccurring nightmare. I mean, the, the situation would be different, but it was always the same thing. Demons would be coming at me in different forms, and I would know I need to speak the name of Jesus, and I couldn't. And I would wake up choking sometimes, just full of fear, these demons coming at me, and I can't speak. And um, finally, I had my husband, you know, I said, okay, I read somewhere that, you know, you have spiritual authority in the home. And so I said, from now on, every single night, you're praying for my dreams. And every night he prayed, I didn't have a nightmare. Every time he forgot or we forgot, I would. And sometimes he would 
pray religiously, protect her dreams, because he was tired, and I would still have a nightmare. Because he didn't do it with authority. He did it out of ritual. And anyway, we did that for a while, and the dream stopped, and we stopped having to have prayer. And then years later, probably five or six years later, when I was starting to um, make the declarations and really believe that oh, maybe I am going to be a speaker, maybe I am called to this, and I had one last nightmare, and I'm in the middle of a nightmare, and I'm trying to speak the name of Jesus, and I literally hear the voice of God say, that's enough. Wow. And all fear left the room. And it was, I mean, it was so audible that I, I looked at my husband because I thought, surely that woke him up. Right. <laughs> and I never had another nightmare like that again. Wow. But later God said, the reason you had those nightmares is because the enemy was trying to steal your voice. Mm. That's what it was all about. quote a scripture and he'll tell you where it's found. <laughs> yeah, because I actually, I don't really have an interest in where it's found. I'm not a, that kind of a teacher, you know. I just, I'm hoping you guys read your Bible and it sounds familiar to you. <laughs> anyway, the whole thing about declarations, one day we were in Texas and we had done a morning service and the youth were really on fire in this church. And so after the morning service, they get it into their heads that they're going to go invite an unsaved guy from their school to the evening service. So they go to his house, and what they didn't know was he had actually planned on committing suicide that night, but he decided to come to church first. Yeah. Sometimes we make great decisions without knowing it. So he's sitting on the front row, and my husband and I stand up to preach, and my husband, because he's so into declarations, he hardly ever starts a meeting without making you say something. He says, I just want to give God something to work with. If I can get him to say that. Yeah, that's why a lot of the worship songs that come out, they're inspired by God, because he can get you to say things in worship that you would never say normally. So my husband has everybody stand up and he says, repeat after me. And he usually does four or five declarations. Well, this time he went on and on and on. And I'm like, we have a message. What, what are you doing? And I didn't actually say that, but I'm sure my face did. <laughs> but what I didn't know was this unsaved young man who was really into goth, you know, the black eyes and lips and chains and the whole bit. And the pastor knew who he was, and he said he was watching him during the declarations. And he said at first the young man just had his head down, but then he saw his lips begin to move, like he was repeating the declarations, and he said pretty soon his face came up 
and he began to declare like he meant it. And most of the declarations were led by, by the Holy Spirit because they were all about identity. I'm beloved by God. I'm more than a conqueror. And, and those kind of statements. And he said he actually saw a shift happen on his face. And he ended up getting saved that night. And at the end of the service, we had a fire prayer tunnel where, you know, instead of the prayer servants moving around, the prayer servants stay in one place, and the people go through the tunnel to get prayed for. Well, he went through like seven times. <laughs> I mean, because his life was being radically changed. But the last time he went through the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, we hear this big commotion, and we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And he had looked down at his arms, and he had all these scars because he'd been cutting himself. And he said, all of my scars have disappeared. <laughs> That's God. And it all started. <laughs> it all started because we got him to say something different than he'd been saying. And the more emotion you use with your declarations, the quicker you'll believe it. You know, because when I, I was first doing this, I, you know, the best time to do declarations is first thing in the morning. Because your thoughts first thing in the morning tend to drive your day. And so I had them by my bed, I'd pull them up and I'd say them out loud. And sometimes I would just do it religiously, and God would politely wait until I was completely done, and then he'd go, now say it like you mean it. <laughs> and years later, when I started studying the brain, they actually prove that the more emotion you use, the more you're going to believe it. You know, there's a reason why sports teams, before a big game, they get in the huddle, and they don't discuss how bad they were last week. Right. They don't get in the huddle and say, oh, I hope you do better this week. Because <laughs> remember that, what, that pass that you made? That was really bad. They speak positively because it actually affects their body. It releases different chemicals in your body. And I began to notice that even what I think was affecting my body. And God said, Wendy, I want you to notice that when you're having God thoughts, you get energized, and when you're having bad thoughts, you lose energy. Have you ever noticed when you're busy condemning yourself, all of a sudden you don't want to move? It's like, I'm tired. I don't think I can go on. Because what you're thinking and speaking is affecting you physically. They actually did a study. A doctor wanted to find out how speech affects the body. And so they hooked this guy up so that they could measure his, his responses and his muscles and electrically. So they had all these graphs. And he was all hooked up to these machines. And then they said, say, I'm weak. And so he said, I am weak. And everything on the graph showed that his body was preparing for weakness. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
We need to speak something different. Even if it doesn't feel true yet. You know, Jesus actually said, my words are spirit and they are life. And most of us read that and think, oh, isn't that cute? That has no impact on me whatsoever. Think about it. If his words are life and spirit, and in other places it talks about the word of God being a seed, what if he means that literally? What if the word of God actually carries within it the potential to perform what it was sent to do? What if that's why he wants the word in our mouth? What if instead of saying, I'm so tired, I'm so sick, what if we started speaking things like, I am full of energy and life, the life of God lives in me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and quickens this mortal body. What if it actually is a seed, like a fruit tree or a flower seed, and when you plant it, it I mean, none of us are shocked when you plant a seed and something comes up. What if the Word of God was an actual seed that you plant into your life and you start declaring the Word of God over you and it's not about trying harder, it's about receiving and coming into unity and taking care of that seed and believing it and imagining it and it actually brings forth something into fruition. Something supernatural. I had an experience in the 90s where I... um, I used to put my kids to bed at night and we lived next door to the church. We pastored and I'd go into the sanctuary to pray. And I went through the season where all I could do is walk around the sanctuary and yell freedom. Freedom! I didn't even, you know, that was before that was normal in in their sanctuary. (laughs) At least in my, you know, upbringing. And, uh, Nobody knew I was doing that, but about three months later, we had a guest speaker come, and he stood up on Sunday morning, and he said, it was so weird, but as soon as I walked into your sanctuary, I heard the word freedom. And I was like, whoa. And God said, Wendy, I just wanted you to know that that word, that seed has not fallen to the ground until it performs that which it was sent to do. Yes. What if the things you've been proclaiming over your city haven't fallen to the ground? Because they're an actual seed that are beginning. You know, we we tend to have so much more faith in darkness than light. You know, people speak negative things. They they speak curses. And, you know, I used to have great faith in curses. Like, you know, oh, you know, we had a, some witches curse the church we were um, on staff at in the 80s, and they left a big pentagram on the side of the church, and all of us intercessors got together because we were like, you know, if we don't do something, bad's going to happen. Yeah. You know, because we had this great faith. Right. 
The witches were powerful. <laughs> and years later, God said, I don't, I don't mind you breaking the power of a curse. I just want to know why you had more faith for a witch's curse than a pastor's blessing. Because when a pastor would bless me, I had no expectation whatsoever. <laughs> it was words. It didn't carry any weight or authority. And when God began to talk to us about the power of words, and, and especially the blessing, I mean, we got so serious about, I, I want to understand the power of a blessing, because it's so powerful that in the Old Testament, Jacob actually lied and cheated to get one. Evidently, he thought it would do something. And the, the truth is, is that a curse only lasts for three to four generations. But a blessing lasts up to a thousand. Because the word of God carries more weight and authority. We just had less faith in it. I remember, you know, talking to God about why, why has the church had more faith in the power of a curse than a blessing? And he said, well... For one thing, people understand what a curse is. They, they know that if you get cursed, your relationships fall apart, your finances fall apart, you know, every marriage falls apart, everything falls apart under a curse, right? You do bad, you do good, and it still turns out bad. And he said, the problem is, is most Christians' blessings don't fit their theology. We don't really believe, you know, if we can believe that you can do the right thing and bad will still happen, why don't we believe that we can do the wrong thing and good will happen? Because we're performance-based. But a blessing isn't dependent on your performance. Do you know that there were kings in the Old Testament that did bad, and God said, because of their father David, I will not punish them. Their father David had been dead for 300 years, and the blessing was still under effect. I want God to look at my descendants and say, because of the blessing, I'm not going to, you know, punish them for this. I'm going to bless them. Words are powerful. They're spirit. They're life. Um, one of the ways that you, you know, I, I had a really good friend when we pastored in, in Weaverville, California. It's kind of a, a mountain town, and one of my best friends was um, a real country girl. I mean, love hunting, fishing, um, all that stuff. I mean, one time she went fishing, and she brought me a fish, and I said, well, throw it at me. And she's like, what? And I go, yeah, I want to catch it. It's <laughs> the only fish I've actually caught. <laughs> Yeah. 
she's still my friend. <laughs> but we would go for walks in the forest and stuff, and she would point things out like, you know, oh, there's been a bear around here. And I'm like, how do you know? And she goes, well, <laughs> those are bear tracks, or that's the scat, or, you know, whatever. She could just tell by the prints and the leavings that they, droppings they would leave. And God said, you know, that's how you can tell who you're listening to. Oh. By what it leaves. Anytime a thought leaves you feeling like quitting, or heavy, or like you're not enough, or condemned, it's not God. Because God never leaves those leavings. He's the God of hope, and his words are life. And even if he is correcting you, there will be a leaving of hope and motivation. We have to start judging the voices in our head. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Just because they've been saying yes. the same thing for the last 20 years doesn't mean they're true, nor do they mean it's God. Amen. And you have to stop making, creating an identity out of your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. If you think you're your thoughts, then you're, you become your own enemy. <laughs> and you're fighting you rather than a thought. Your brain is just spewing out stuff that has been put in since you were a little kid, and you have to stop identifying with your thoughts. Just because you had a perverse thought doesn't mean you're perverse. There could be any number of reasons why you had those thoughts. If you're a feeler, you probably picked up on someone else's. Wow. I mean, that was so freeing for me. I thought I was nuts because I'm, I'm prophetically a feeler. I can feel what's going on in the room, and I used to thought I thought they were all mine. I'd feel perfectly fine, and then I'd step into a room and it's like ah, panic, anxiety, and you know, people would come up to talk to me, and all of a sudden I'd get really nervous, and I'm like, why am I so nervous? I thought it was me. Oh, I realized, oh, I'm picking up on their nervousness. But the good news is, is that if someone's emotions and thoughts can influence you, then you can influence them. Because light is more powerful than darkness. But we actually have to develop Can I use a really bad New Age word? Sure. Just because Christians Do don't have a word for it yet. Do it. Aura. <laughs> yes. A word. Yes. <laughs> I think they stole it. Uh, probably. I mean, we we actually when we were in um, Weaverville, we had two um, New Age. Ladies, they were in their 50s, they were so cute, but they got saved in our church, and you know, but their language was still pretty new age ish. And so they didn't know who Bill Johnson was, and we had Bill Johnson come to the church one Sunday night to preach. And I'm standing there talking to these two women, and 
they look over as Bill walks in the room and they go, who is that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, that's Bill Johnson, our speaker. And they go, he's got a huge aura. <laughs> But for most of us, we pick up on the negative auras. You've been around people who they're just angry all the time or bitter and you're picking up. They don't even have to say a word. You just, you know, you're sensing what's going on in their life because they have so focused on something negative, whether it's perversion, whether it's anger or hopelessness or self-pity. They're... They're releasing what they've been meditating on. The problem is, is Christians don't meditate on peace enough to leave it. We want God to zap us with peace when we're in a bad circumstance. What would happen if we actually intentionally created an aura of peace? What if we were in his peace so often? I believe it can happen. I mean, I've had people say that, you know, they have felt my peace. I've also had people say they have felt the love of God because I love to be there. But we can actually shift atmospheres. But the first thing we have to do is learn how to shift our own. If we can't shift our atmosphere, how are we going to shift the this, this city? So I went through this thing where I would go into the sanctuary to pray, and some days I'd be up, and some days I'd feel, you know, like worthless or overwhelmed. So I would put, you know, sad Christian songs on. <laughs> you can still find them. I'm just a poor, wave-bearing stranger. <laughs> Traveling through. You know. And so I would actually keep building on that negative thing until one day God said, we're going to do something different now. <laughs> and he said, whatever you're feeling in the negative, you're going to put the opposite music on. You're going to start dancing with joy, or you're going to start dancing with victory, and you're going to do it until your emotions shift. And they always did. It's amazing how saying something different actually can create a whole... Because I don't believe in stuffing emotions. Do not stuff emotions. Change them. By believing something different. Because if it's a negative, you know, even with grief, I, I believe in grieving. I, if you've lost someone or something, there's a season for grief. The only thing I would say is don't grieve without hope. Because if you're grieving without hope, it means that whatever you're grieving has the wrong position in your life. That's right. Because God can still make you happy and fulfilled no matter what you've lost. I know that's hard. 
So we have to believe it. Yes. We have to believe he's that big and that good. Otherwise, yes. we're trapped. We're trapped. So it's, there's this shifting. So I started you know, going in, and I would shift my emotions. And then somehow someone found out. I was praying late at night at the church. And they said, oh, can I join you? And I'm like, oh, sure, you know. How fun. Another person who wants to pray in the middle of the night. What I didn't realize is that she brought her own atmosphere. And I would end up counseling her, trying to get her out of whatever funk she was in. And by the time we were done, my prayer time was over. And finally I heard God, I was complaining to God about it. And I was like, how do you disinvite someone from a prayer time? <laughs> Ask the pastor's wife. So you know. Yeah, yeah. The pastor said I couldn't pray anymore. <laughs> And God says, I didn't send her to you for you to counsel. I sent her to you to shift her atmosphere without speaking to her. Whoa. I'm like, I can do that. She's been doing it to you. <laughs> so... Now, instead of doing the opposite of what I was feeling, I would pick up whatever was going on in her life, and I would start doing the opposite in just, you know, worship, putting the music on, you know, giving action to it. And amazingly, she would leave free without me saying a word. And then he started increasing the metron of how much I could influence came into church one day, spirit of heaviness. Uh, there's a spirit of heaviness. I was hoping for a good church service. But, you know, the people. Anybody else tired of being a victim to the people? Sitting there thinking, oh, this is a bummer service. And he goes, Welcome to your new gym. You're going to practice shifting the atmosphere in this room. By believing you carry the opposite. Because you've been in the presence of peace. Because I was so in bondage to my emotions, I valued peace so much that I went after it as a state of being where I would practice peace. I would actually just become peace. I would just be there. I would allow him to, to just pour out his peace. I would feel it. I would imagine it. And, and the amazing thing is, is the more I was in the place of peace, the quicker I could get back to it in chaos. And the quicker I could begin to influence other people who were not in it. Whether it's peace, whether it's love, whether it's light, I believe that things of the Spirit have substance. You know, you've heard of the phrase, there was so much fear in the room that it, you could cut it with a knife. Love can be the same thing, yeah. only even more so. Because it's from God. And we can actually begin to develop that in our life, 
where it's not just for us, but we begin to influence everybody we're around with what we carry. And kings will come to your rising. Because it's not just your brain that's drawing them. You carry something. We all know that there's some people who are charismatic. So are you. You just haven't dwelt there long enough for it to become an identity. What if instead of meditating on hurt and your failures and how inadequate you are, what if you, you know, because we get our identity from what we dwell on. That's right. Have you ever wondered why is it that a lot of people think they're failures when they've only had one or two failures and they've had hundreds of success in their life, but they made the identity out of the one or two failures yeah. or the one or two stupid things they did and they create an identity out of it. The reason they've created an identity is because that's what they dwelt on. And then they've forgotten all the good times. Yeah. What if instead of dwelling on your failure, you started dwelling on your last great encounter with God? Boom. Yes, yes. The last time he loved on you and told you how precious you were. Instead of dwelling on things that make you feel shameful, what if you dwelt on the things that made you feel powerful <coughs> and hopeful? It's time to choose. What we're going to dwell on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if dwelling on, on your inadequacies is working for you, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the old saying if the horse is dead, get off. <laughs> right? It's not taking you anywhere. Side, I would keep just a little bit to keep me under control. Because <laughs> who knows what I would do if there was no guilt and condemnation? I might just go whole, you know, hog wild sin. And then God said, Wendy, I need you to make guilt and condemnation your enemy. He said, because I won't work with it. If you're trying to change under guilt and condemnation, you've removed yourself from grace. Wow. Ooh, he said, because I will not share the glory of Jesus with guilt and condemnation. Wow. We tend to have faith in guilt. 
don't think about how bad you've been. It'll make you a better person. It doesn't work. We don't change that way, at least not long term. It can hold you for a little while. I have no idea what time it is. You're sorry about it. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. No, really. What time? You have till about 8.15. Okay. You can't tell about when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to recognize the voice. Disassociate from it. It's not me. That voice that makes you feel guilty is not you and it's not God. And then we have to, on purpose, you know, I've actually told myself, Wendy, you're not going to have any more thoughts that make you want to quit. Anytime I have a thought that makes me want to quit, I toss it. Because the goal isn't to quit. I need thoughts that make me feel hopeful, that make me believe I can do this. And if I don't have those thoughts, I ask someone else. Find an encouraging person in your life. I have one friend that she was raised so horribly. I mean, they treated her like an animal. So she, she you know, mom said that she was um, brain damaged. There's nothing wrong with her. But she was just abused horribly. And so we started speaking into her life. And so she actually, she had to go away on a work trip. And she said, would you put all that on tape? Because sometimes I can't remember what's good about me. So she would listen to it over and over and over. Because sometimes we can't remember. Because the old voice is so loud. And it's not enough to stop the old voice. You have to start a new one. You do not make a pathway through the forest by walking through it once. It's over and over and over and over again. Until all of a sudden, you're doing things that line up with what you've been saying. I didn't try to force anything to happen. I just began to do who I thought I was. Once you're convinced, it just flows out of you. There's no fear. There's no performance. You know, the way our brain works is that under stress and fear, all of the blood rushes from the side of your brain that is for creative thinking and problem solving rushes to the part of your brain that is for fight or flight. And it leaves an absence of oxygen in the part of your brain that you need to hear from. So we actually have to just learn, you know, I have practiced peace so often that now I, I recognize quicker when I'm out of it and I can get back in quicker. Then I can hear again and I'm at peace again. I have little phrases that click me back into where I want to be. Like there's always a solution. It's all going to be okay. Have phrases ready for whatever your main lie in life is. 
Write it down. Speak it over and over and over. Create a pathway in your brain. You can do that on purpose. And it, it actually made it easier for me when I thought of it from a scientific viewpoint that it's not so much I have to change, I just have to create a new pathway. And it creates a new destiny. What do you want to believe? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Reinvent. It's never too late. Wow. There's a few things. I went and got my iPad because I just wanted to read a few things. Um, one of them that I felt really strongly during worship was a lot of us don't realize that we have eternal life because we believe in Jesus. But we have we have the abundant life when we have faith in the resurrection. You know, we not you know, I used to think that the whole Christian life was about dying. If I could just die some more, I'd be a great Christian. And God said, well, how dead can you get? Because scripture actually says, Galatians 2.20, says, you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. Why are you trying to kill someone who's dead? Because she keeps resurrecting. (laughs) She keeps resurrecting. The problem is that you're trying to kill your, your, you think the Christian life is about dying when the actual, the real goal of the Christian life is to learn how to live a resurrected life. Because we not only died with Christ, we were raised with him. And 1 John actually says, as he is, so are we, not when we die, as he is, so are we in this world. And we've been trying to model ourselves after a pre-resurrected Christ when we're supposed to model ourselves after a resurrected Christ. Wow. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But we're afraid to live a resurrected life because... We're afraid of pride, and like I mentioned Friday night, we're we're afraid of the glory. But it's time to stop trying to reveal a glorious Christ. John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, the same glory you gave me, I've given them. And we're like, no, I don't have any glory. You have any glory? talking about. <laughs> I have a theory. Can I just, you know, I'm going to throw some stuff out that you can agree or not agree, but I fully believe that it should be normal for us to walk on water and walk through walls. Yeah. Do you know that in the 80s, probably 90% of the church thought that you could not prophesy and speak 
for the Lord unless you were under some kind of special anointing and you began to shake and talk in King James English. And, <laughs> and then people started saying, no, God wants to say good things to people all the time. He wants to speak life into people. and He wants to speak through you. Pray that you all may prophesy. And, we, and all of a sudden, the average, I mean, it, it's gotten so, can I use the word bad loosely, but we were having a prayer meeting one time, and whenever we got together, we always prophesied over a few people just to encourage them, let them know God still loved them and you know, saw good things in them. And some relative who, I don't think they, I don't even know if they were saved. If they were saved, they were going to a really nominal church. They're in the prayer meeting with us, and he starts prophesying. Didn't even know it. He was just picking up on what was going on in the atmosphere. You're kind of like Saul. He got around the prophets, and he started prophesying, and people were like, oh, is Saul one of the prophets? And he just got in their atmosphere. What if we've just thought that God wants to zap a few people? What if we are really more spirit than flesh and that we're capable of much more than we think? Remember I shared about how the caterpillar and the butterfly have two sets of DNA? Scientists for a long time, in fact, they still don't know what all of our DNA is for. Maybe it's waiting for your mind to be renewed. And when you start thinking something different, maybe that DNA that enables you to walk through waters or talk to animals or read people's thoughts, or I don't know. Maybe it's just waiting for you to be transformed by believing something. with me. Yeah, I, all yeah. I know is I'm not quitting until I see more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest. That's How right. many of us had the thought, I think there was supposed to be more than this huh. yeah. as a Christian? Deep inside, there's this thing of I, this isn't, you know, I love being a Christian. I love God. I love how he loves me, but I think there's more. Yes. Because you can't really be the real you, unless you define yourself as a spirit. <clears throat> it really bothers me when we get people born again of the spirit and tell them to stay out of the spirit room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we're afraid of the spirit realm. And we're the only ones who have legal right to it. The New Agers, the witches, they are in there illegally, stealing your inheritance and making you afraid of the supernatural. When as a born-again spirit, the supernatural should be natural. Let's get rid of our limits. What's really possible? 
Yeah, limitless God. <coughs> limitless. just create a whole bunch of DNA for nothing. I, I really believe that there is something waiting for us to ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to believe for? What's possible? You know the weird thing is, is when I started speaking, I was I, I just wanted so much to not have faith in my ability to speak that I would make declarations like, Father, I'm just going to believe that when I speak, you write on my words and you enter people's hearts and brains and you open up prison doors and lights go off and you know things just begin to shift in their life. And I can't tell you how many times people come up and tell me, oh, when you spoke. Yeah. And they'll use the words and the language that I used wow. in prayer yeah. for the supernatural. What else can I do? <laughs> what else can I believe for? Whoa. The Christian life isn't about learning to die. It's about learning to live a whole yes. new life. Yes. If you get a chance to watch the movie, The Greatest Showman, watch it. But watch it with a view of what if God was trying to speak to people through it? There's another song on there called The Other Side. And it's like the Holy Spirit just, you know. I'm tired of living the life that you've been living. You know? And the other guy is like, yeah, but people will make fun of me. They'll think I'm just a clown if I, you know, join you in your circus. And that's what we think, you know. When the spirit starts moving, I'm gonna look silly. <laughs> but the whole movie, the thing I love about it is this, the, the the guy who he's enticing into the circus. He was successful playwright, known. I mean, he had all these fancy rich friends, and he gave it all up to go to the circus. And then they lose everything at the end. And he talks about what he lost. And he goes, I gained a family and joy. And it was all worth it. I mean, it's just, it is a picture by God. Amazing, amazing movie. Um, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to Again, there's a little language, because I don't have the right language for this yet. How many people have had a worship time or a prayer time where all of a sudden you felt something rise up in you? And you knew it was spirit to spirit. You knew you had moved past talking or singing from here to here. What if you began to practice that state of being? Keep going back to it. How did I feel during that moment? Because that was your spirit rising up in you. That was the real you. Amen. Come on. 
I've been in worship times where all of a sudden I feel like I can leap over tall mountains. I can kick the enemy's butt. <laughs> you just feel like you, you're strong and you're powerful and you're empowered. And then you leave worship and it's like, eh. <laughs> because in that moment of worship, our real self, our, our identity as the spirit has risen up and we connected with it. And then we leave worship or the prayer time and we shut it down and we begin to identify ourselves as our flesh. So just in closing, can we just take a little activation? Yes. yes. Come on. So just close your eyes. Father, I thank you that each one here is born again of the Spirit and that they are more spirit than flesh, and that our goal isn't to die because you've already taken care of that. Our goal is to stand in faith in the resurrection of Jesus that we partake in. So I speak to each one here, every spirit that has been, been covered up by the past and the shame and the flesh, and I just say, arise and shine, O daughters of Zion. Arise in your rightful inheritance and identity. You are powerful. You are empowered. You are well able to overcome it. You have authority over every demon, everything of darkness. You carry light and peace. You are a world changer. You shift the atmosphere. The demons tremble at your name. And I say, arise and shine. Arise. Allow your true identity. This is you. You are not that weak, ineffective person that you thought you were. Do not consider your past. Do not consider your flesh. Consider your spirit. That part of you that is a partaker of the divine nature. One with Christ. Full of glory. Full of the kingdom. The kingdom isn't out there. The kingdom is within you. And it's time to unveil it. Jesus, I thank you that you're calling for your people into their true identity and destinies. Give us courage. Give us the ability to let go of the past and reach for those things that are ahead. That we put off the old man and we put on the new. In fact, just do that in your imagination. Put off that part of you that you no longer want. Because if you don't want it, it's not you. And you're going to put on what you do want. Which is a love relationship with the Father. To be noble and pure of heart. To be full of grace and glory. Reaching your hand out to the lost and the hurting. Not 
just because you have to, but because you believe you carry something that is the answer for them. And we just receive it, Father. By faith, we receive that we are more than enough in this new birth. And we just say yes to all of those, the DNA that is within us that you want to raise up and begin to begin to mark our very being. Yes. And I just ask that no one here will be comfortable with a normal Christian life. But that we will go after all that you died for. And we begin to live from the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and pull on the spirit realm and bring it in for those who are hurting. We have resources we have not even touched. The kingdom of heaven is it with hand. It means it's within reach. The unseen realm, the resources of heaven are yours to give out to those who are hurting. Yes. Not because you're worthy, but because it's who you are. Yes, yes, yes. I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So good. I just feel like every session there's more. Every time, you know, she goes a little bit deeper on some of the same sorts of things, but every time there's a fresh revelation. God is so good like that. Um, we are so blessed by Wendy that we want to bless her back.